Step up now, watch your step. The skies are blue and we'll have you to the harbor as fast as the seabird can go. I require a small fee of yours. <laughs> Fit more for a cabin, a bit more if you be intending to eat. Darvalin, you say. Well, fortune pricked me, but why would you want to go there? <laughs> All right, then. It's your lucky day. We've got entertainment on deck. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. It be the strangeness you see that pulls you to the next horizon. A crystal lattice covering an island and it hums when the moon is up. A mountain hollowed into a bowl and in its center a silver spike a hundred spans high and any who comes within a mile of it dies. Rusted ruins and broken bits and things found on the bottom of the sea. Things not even the oldest books know the meaning of. Things you never dreamed of in more places than you can see in ten lifetimes. That be the strangeness that will draw you on. Bail Dolman, uh, I think that's chapter 26. Yes, it is. Yeah. Chapter 26, Eye of the World. Bail Dolman. I love him so much. Coming with his, I love him so his much. worldly wonders. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with the fabulous, wonderful Tracy. <laughs> and I am here with the amazing, <laughs> hardworking, perseverant, <laughs> gritty as fuck Amber. Oh, thanks so much. I love and, you so and much. And we are the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. Mm-hmm. And today we are trudging forward with our Eye of the World reread recap whatever it is we're calling it <laughs> it's true we never really did like land on a this is what it is but it sure has been fun but it is what it is mm-hmm. and we are covering chapters 23 through 26 of eye of the world today yep and before we go on because we forget to do this every single time <laughs> We have a Threadless shop, and you should go check it out because it's super cool, and there are a ton of neat designs on there, and like I said, Amber's amazing, and she's always coming up with these super cool designs, and you need to go check it out. You just need to go check it out. It's, what is it, Road to Jarvalin? Threadless. Yeah, if you just, Threadless. I mean, we'll put a link in our um, show oh, yeah. notes, mm-hmm. and otherwise, if you just Google Road to Jarvalin and Threadless, it'll... Pop up. It'll pop up. Yeah, actually, um, Andrew pulled up Road to Tarvalin yesterday on Google. We're number three that shows up. Ooh. And he was like, man, Square Mouth would kill for that. We've been sitting at number six forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe you should have an amazing team like Amber and I running things for you. We're, no, we're his two-woman crew. <laughs> right? His business is really fantastic, and they do a really good job. But I was, you know just being kind of silly that we're amazing just a little snark just a little snark it should be expected from me by now truthfully (laughs) right (laughs) anyway i'm so excited about our chapters this week because there was a lot of fun stuff this is yes this is where i feel like i'm falling back in love with eye of the world yes same like it's moving we have more than Rand's point of view we've Mm -hmm. got wolves and tinkers and bill doman i know right (laughs) wolves and tinkers and bill doman 
Hooray! It yeah, all sounds the, great. The, yeah, the world is really starting to expand now. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, bringing in more cultures and peoples. And it's really nice. And I yeah. know when we finished off our last episode, we had Perrin just basically getting pulled down the river, getting mm-hmm. swept across the, the river. And Rand, Matt, and Tom mm-hmm. just bought passage with Bail Doman and are going across the Aranel to Whitebridge. Mm-hmm. And chapter 23 is titled Wolf Brother. Mm-hmm. And we are starting <laughs> back from the point of view of Perrin. Mm-hmm. And this one starts off with Perrin and Egwene. They're still traveling together further away from the river. They're the only one in our little group that didn't go downriver. They all went, like, they're trying to get to Camelin by going around where they're expected to be. Yeah, they decided they didn't want to take main roads. They thought Mm -hmm. they were going to kind of cross through the wilderness. Yeah. And let's see where they end up. (laughs) (laughs) I just, when I actually started looking at it and realizing that everybody was moving south along the river, I was like, oh, they're all they're all gonna be together. And then Perrin was like, we should not do that. So there for this purpose, there is this really great interactive map online you can find where mm. if you go to like a chapter, it'll pull up little like pointers on the map and show you where everyone is at. Shut if up. I, I swear, I swear, if I can find it later, I'll send you a link. We can I mean put it I in obviously the notes, but I don't want you to shut up. This would be a real boring podcast <laughs> if you didn't talk. Stop talking, Amber. Then our two-woman show goes to a one-woman show. <laughs> Who, like, fumbles around messily trying to figure shit out. I, I need you, Amber. I need you. <laughs> come back. Come back. Yes. So, Egwene is pretty desperate at this point for Perrin to ride the horse half of the time. But poor Perrin feels... <laughs> terrible every time he climbs up on Bella and Bella kind of just gives him this look like dude you are way too big for this right (laughs) all I can think of is like maybe parents toes kind of dragging the ground a little (laughs) his knuckles are dragging on the ground (laughs) it's like an adult doing the piggyback horse ride on the toddler instead of the other way around that's oh my gosh someone needs to draw this i need to see like a giant heron (laughs) on little bella but yeah i mean poor bella she's not Mm -hmm. happy about this and as much as perrin was kind of like fighting it Egwene put her foot down and was like no we're doing this half and half Apparently, she doesn't care about all of this animal abuse and commands the party forward. So. I don't care if Bella hates it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they come across the smell of cooking rabbit. And they, I mean, they're hoping that it's cooked rabbit and not human bodies being cooked by Trolloc. Trolloc cook pot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And since they've run out of food, they're pretty desperate to stop and investigate and of course I mean if you're hungry and you come you know you smell something cooking yeah Mm -hmm. I'm sure they were curious to see what was going on but I'm sure their stomachs were even more curious Mm -hmm. oh the savoir so Mm. (laughs) 
Perrin confidently sneaks up on this man who is roasting rabbits over an open fire, and he's shocked when the man introduces himself and claims that he's been watching them for days. Mm-hmm. And the man who has yellow eyes offers Perrin the invitation to eat with him. So Perrin yells to Egwene, like, hey, the coast is clear. It's safe. Mm-hmm. And Egwene, like... <laughs> Completely abandons her proper ways and just scarfs down this rabbit, <laughs> letting the juice drip down her chin. And I think this was really cute. I love that moment. Like, just not even caring. Just making a big mess, greasy. Yeah. Wipe it off with your hands. Yeah. It gets everywhere. Before you know it, somehow rabbit grease is in your hair, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think of. <laughs> So uh. as they continue to eat, the man with yellow eyes, we learn that his name is Elias Makira. Mm-hmm. He tells them kind of something along the lines of, be still, my friends are coming. Mm-hmm. And to everyone's astonishment, a group of four wolves enter the <laughs> camp. And apparently- Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd freak out. I think I would be scared for a minute and then I would mm-hmm. just be thinking like, oh my God, is this really happening? This is amazing. Yeah. This is so and cool. Right after that, can I pet them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will they let me touch them? Can I pet them? If if the wolves were okay with a little here boy, here girl, then why I mean, not, right? My my dog absolutely loves being scratched in places that he can't reach for himself. Maybe the wolf would appreciate it. Yeah. So apparently uh, Elias can talk to the wolves mm. and everyone is kind of like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and Elias says to Perrin, well, you can talk to them too. And Perrin has to be thinking this guy is a complete nutter, right? Like, mm-hmm. this guy is crazy. Totally. So, Elias asks Perrin and Egwene what their story is, and Egwene tells him this long story that she and Perrin have kind of carefully crafted together, mm-hmm. and Egwene was the better liar of the pair, so <laughs> Perrin kind of let her go forward with it, mm-hmm. and then when she kind of brings the story to an end, Perrin chimes in with a little bit of, yeah, and then this happened. And Elias is like, wow, that's a really great story. But the wolves just told me it's all bullshit. And (laughs) cue to Perrin and Egwene having shocked Pikachu faces. (laughs) Then Perrin retells the whole story to Elias, but this time telling him the whole truth. I think the Mm -hmm. only thing he leaves out is his dreams that have Mm -hmm. been plagued with these nightmare visions. Yeah, and by all Zaman, because mm-hmm. nobody really wants to tell someone they've just met that the Dark One is romping through your dreams. Yes, yeah. and Elias tells Perrin that the Aes Sedai are bad news and they can't mm-hmm. be trusted. He continues to explain how he ran from them. Uh, this is Elias. He, mm-hmm. When they wanted the Red Aja wanted to gentle him. But he kind of explains that his powers don't come from Sidene and that they are something much older and separate from the one power. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy this little bit being inserted where we don't just have Sidene and Sidar. We're getting a little taste of what other type of magic is available mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I like that. 
Elias tells the two that the wolves will protect them and that Perrin and Egwene should stick with him. But Perrin's like, no, we need to go to Camelin. Mm-hmm. And we get a di- like a quick disagreement between the wolves and mm-hmm. it's told by Elias. And apparently Burn, one of the wolves, wants to go hunt the Trollocs, but Dapple, the female leader of the pack, wants the other three to stay with the party. So mm-hmm. the wolves kind of break. Uh, Scar run or Scar mm-hmm. Burn, <laughs> Burn runs off. <laughs> Isn't the Lion King <laughs> right? Burn Could runs. Be. Yeah, Burn runs off, and so now, yeah, they've got a group of wolves protecting them, which is mm-hmm. yeah, pretty cool. It's in this chapter too that Egwene is like, "Can can you teach us how to do this?" Right. Where she asks, asks Elias if there's a way for them to learn to speak to the wolves. Of course, Egwene is like, show me, teach me your ways. Yeah. And this is the one situation where she's probably just like, well, shit, I can't learn this. <laughs> and I think it's like the first, I think it's, well, maybe, no, this is the second example of her coming across something that is completely foreign to her and outside her realm of everyday life having lived in the village because she's found out she can become an Aes Sedai what's to say she can't learn to speak to wolves I feel like it's an it's a good question (laughs) round out your resume girl get it learn everything um okay chapter 24 are you ready I am ready I don't want to jump ahead before <laughs> you're ready to go. All right. So this is flight down the Aranel. 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 Rand is having a nightmare at the opening of this chapter, and it's in a crazy dream world. And at one point, he runs straight into Bialsmon, and he freezes in place. And I think one of the things that I caught in here when I was reading it was we had talked about, like, how could Bialsmon do the three dreams for Matt Perrin and Rand. And now Rand is thinking, or are there two mazes, two Bilesamons? And his mind skittered away from that. It was too dreadful to dwell on. So even Rand is asking that question, like how how is this happening? Mm-hmm. At one point, Rand pricks his finger on the, on the thorns that make up this immensely tall hedge. He's basically in this big maze, weird, rampy thing. Him pricking his finger, like, makes him step back because he had been trying to be really careful, like, not to really touch anything that would hurt him. And as he's tumbling backwards, one of these smooth round stones that has been the path he's been walking on comes up and it's a skull. And in some ways, I feel like this was almost just kind of expected. Mm -hmm. Like, of course you're walking on skulls. (laughs) What else were you expecting to be walking on? in your nightmare but he is able to wake up from this nightmare and realizes that he's still asleep on the deck of the spray but without thinking about it he puts his finger in his mouth and realizes he's actually bleeding so this nightmare now feels much more real their flight along the Aranel is slow going and every few days the crew begins to grumble that they have left the Trollocs behind them and they aren't in trouble any longer but then Doman brings out the weapons the Trollocs dropped on the deck and that quiets them down for a bit and I love this because he doesn't even say anything he just goes down he comes up and I think it's like a big axe and like something else and he just hangs them up on like one of the masts and then walks away no words 
just action. Bale is such a badass. This I guy. Yep. Tom plays his part in all of this to keep the crew content. He sings, he performs, he backslaps, but he's also keeping an eye on everything that's going on. And Rand doesn't know why, but... Tom's definitely sensing a lot of things going on that... Yeah. Rand and Matt are just a little too naive to pick up on. Exactly. There's so much discontent on board right now. Mm-hmm. You can tell Tom is kind mm-hmm. of trying to. <laughs> yeah. He's like really using everything he has in his skill toolbox to mm-hmm. try to keep things as calm as possible. Good job, Tom. But this also includes quote-unquote fake teaching Matt and Rand how to become Gleeman. Um, and I love when, like, Tom steps up to Matt and he's like, I don't know how to fake teach anything. Like, get yeah. up and do a freaking handstand, you whatever he calls him. Down country boy, probably. <laughs> Sheep herder. I don't know. Some slur against farmers. <laughs> That's what he says, right? Something like that. But then... Rand also observes that Matt is spending too much time off on his own. Like, he's just kind of curled in on himself and sitting places and trying to be as alone as possible. Mm -hmm. As they're going along, Doman is telling, like, at one point tells the boys that it's the strangest of the world, not gold or treasure, that will pull a person along in the world. And that was where our quote came from at the beginning of the show. And I really enjoyed the descriptions of the land, the landscape from the ship and the many things that Bill describes. And they see off to the distance, a tower of metal. I have seen it close up and I know I shining steel by the look and feel of it, but no, a spot, <laughs> no, a spot of rust. My, Spell check is going crazy on that. 200 feet high, it'd be as big around as a house with no mark in it and never an opening to be found. And Matt mutters about there probably being treasure there. <laughs> he's a this, little bit of a one-track mind right he now. He <laughs> really is. He's a bit suspicious and he's all about treasure. Ran acts like a damn fool, balancing on the tallest point of the ship and making everyone think he has lost his mind. Tom goes up to talk to Ron... <laughs> Tom goes up to talk to Rand into coming down, which he does by sliding down the rope and then standing for applause like an Olympian. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Arms yes. up. I love that. He's tens, like, tens, tens across the board. <laughs> yes. When Rand gets to the bow of the ship where Matt has been facing away from all the hubbub, he sees that Matt is holding a super fancy dagger. He picked it up in Shadar of Goth, of course, mm-hmm. and blames Perrin and Rand for pulling him away before he could put before he could put it back. He wasn't given it. He just took it. So what Moraine said about being given something from where death doesn't apply to him. Right. Oh Matt. Oh Matt. He's, he's you know, he's learning by osmosis from being around an Aes Sedai, right? <laughs> How to bend the yeah. truth to your... But I mean, at the same time, Matt is the ultimate troublemaker, so he is very skilled at yes. bending truth to his way of thinking. Matt tells Rand that he can't tell anyone about him having this dagger, and Rand agrees. And Yeah, I Rand didn't... is just kind of like, I've got your back, you know? Yeah. You're my friend. I understand why you would be grouchy and suspicious and try to, like, keep something like this to yourself. And then shortly after this conversation, Rand realizes what it was he was doing when he was sitting way 
up there yes. and kind of like comes up short. He sees like, how, yeah, he sees how high up he was mm-hmm. and thinks, you know, light. Did I really just do that? What's come yeah. over me? <laughs> What's wrong with me that I would do that? And I, he even when he's up there, he lets go of holding on to everything, hands, feet, and just sits up there and keeps his balance. And he talks about how the mast like goes in an arc back and forth. Yeah. And that he was able to keep his balance for three swings of that arc and I was just like doesn't Tom kind of play it off too like oh he's a real performer my apprentice (laughs) yes yes (laughs) we'll be doing this in Ilium yeah poor Tom is just like I am surrounded by freaks (laughs) (laughs) and idiots don't they know anything yeah we've got Matt muttering to himself and just being cranky (laughs) We've got Rand doing his one-man um, <laughs> tightrope walk. Right. They could make a fortune in Illion. Right. Rand's a tightrope walker. Matt the sulker. I don't know what kind of money that would bring in. <laughs> That's like those restaurants that you go to where they just are rude to you. Rude to Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. Uh, I went to a yeah. place like that on accident once. I didn't know what I was. And then when I got there, I was like, this place is giving me a really bad vibe. And they're like, mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so funny. Uh, once they realized my confusion, they were nice again. But I was just like, I don't. Who, who are the type of people that go to a place like that for fun? I don't get it. Mm-mm. I don't get it. I go out so that I can, like, have a nice experience. I don't go out. Someone to verbally accost you. Okay, so we are shifting back to Perrin's point of view, and Chapter 25 is called The Traveling People. Mm -hmm. And Egwene and Elias and Perrin are all continuing further on their journey. Mm -hmm. Egwene is putting on a brave face, but is still quite nervous from being around a pack of wolves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Perrin's kind of wrestling his fears as well. He's started to become aware of where the wolves are, even when he can't see them. Mm-hmm. And we find out that Perrin has stopped having his creepy Baalzaman nightmares and that mm-hmm. the wolves have been there each night guarding his dreams. So mm-hmm. pretty cool. Pretty mm-hmm. cool. And that's something that I didn't pick up on on my first read. Yeah. I didn't know that wolves could be dream garters. So, mm. yeah. That's really, that's cool. I love, I love the things that come out on a reread that, you know, weren't caught before. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, well, I don't want to get too far into the implications of it because Gets a little spoilery, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Perrin sure. has um, stopped having his Baalzaman dreams, and after a few days of writing, they are met by a group of giant mastiffs, <laughs> and these dogs seem to be ferocious. Mm-hmm. And Elias tells Perrin not to hit it with a rock and that mm-hmm. they are safe. And apparently, I get all the animal abuse chapters in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry about that. (laughs) But Elias explains that these big dogs belong to the traveling people, a.k.a. Tuathan, or Tuathan, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Tinkers. Mm -hmm. And 
Then Egwene spouts off some mildly racist rhetoric saying that Tinkers uh-huh. are thieving kidnappers. Mm-hmm. And Elias pretty much finds the right words to make her shut up. And yeah. Perrin, on the other hand, is really curious about the Tuathon because they are craftsmen. Mm-hmm. And apparently they had done some repairs for Mistress Luhan. I can't mm-hmm. remember if it was Alsbeth's, if it was one of her pans or something. Mm-hmm. And Perrin found it impressive. So well, and I think, because I, it, it was Alsbeth, I think she always talked about how it was repaired and it was better than new and it made Master Her- Luhan. Carl a little yeah, bit. like A little cranky about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> of course, yeah, of mm-hmm. course, because... You know, Perrin looks up to Harold Luhan as like mm-hmm. a father figure. And Very then much. to see his wife kind of showing off this exquisitely crafted, mm-hmm. repaired piece of ironwork would be interesting to him. You know, mm-hmm. this is in his wheelhouse. This is something Absolutely. he is into. So mm-hmm. I, I, I like his curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the group enters the Tuatha'an camp and are met by Rain, who is the leader of their camp. Mm-hmm. And Elias kind of explains that Tuatha, the Tuatha'an are searching for the song that was mm-hmm. lost during the breaking of the world. And we are introduced to Rain's wife, Isla, mm-hmm. and their grandson, Aram. And Perrin thinks that Aram reminds him of one of the boys mm-hmm. back home. <laughs> who likes to lead young girls on, I guess he's a little bit of a player. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's a little bit concerned about him going off with Egwene. Yeah. And the Tuathan explain the way of the leaf and their views on pacifism and saying those who partake in violence are only hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. And Perrin disagrees with him, and they have a spirited conversation. And I'll go into that a little bit later in the spoiler section. But they eat together, and then we hear some disturbing news that took place in the Aiel Waste. Mm-hmm. And Rain explains that two years ago, a group of Tuatha'an in the Aiel Waste came across a group of Aiel warrior women called Farderai's Mai and that they had come from the blight. It became apparent that the women had been killed, all except one. And as she was near death, she sought out the tinkers. Normally, the Aiel would do anything to avoid the tinkers. So mm-hmm. this is, it makes the story kind of, you know, every I can see everyone leaning in like, hmm, where is yeah. this going? Interesting. Yeah. And this maiden of the spear crawled to the tinker's wagon and with her dying breath gave them a message. And the message was this. Leaf blighter means to blind the eye of the world, lost one. He means to slay the great serpent, warn the people, lost one. Sightburner comes. Tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn. Tell them. And then she died. So I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps when I read this part no no one can see like my physical reaction where I'm like (laughs) fanning myself with my hands and I'm like shaking a little like I love I love this one and I think 
it makes so much more sense coming back on a reread and knowing like who Leaf Blighter is and kind of Mm -hmm. like the references behind so many of the things that are said there. It's so much more than I thought it was when I first read it. Well, too, I mean, on on a first read, it it kind of just looks like, okay, this is just, you know, it's going to be a prophecy that gets thrown out there. And Mm -hmm. this is another one of those tropes where someone escapes danger, they're the sole Mm -hmm. survivor, and then with their dying breath, they're like, do this. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's it's easy to have kind of that, like, knee-jerk eye roll where you're yeah. like, okay, like a prophecy, I get it. But especially when she like dies before she finishes yeah. getting to tell everything, it's like, yeah. oh, of course, of course, yeah. We'll Why never would she know get to tell the, the whole, whole story. story. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's nice to set up this kind of mysterious circumstance, but yeah, you know, I feel like you know when you're reading fantasy that. Oh, okay, there's a mystery, a prophecy, there's mm-hmm. going to be some type of chosen one, mm-hmm. and he who comes with the dawn, okay, I'm, you know, like you get it, mm-hmm. you get where it's going, but you don't exactly know what it means for the context of this story, mm-hmm. and Rain does go in a little bit to explain that Leaf Blighter and Sightburner are Aiel terms for the mm-hmm. Dark One, Yeah, and Rain thinks that Elias might know what this means because he was a dot, dot, dot. And before he has a chance to say what Elias was, Elias cuts him off. Mm -hmm. So not only are we getting this mysterious warning, we are getting a mystery regarding Elias's backstory as well. Mm -hmm. And it it kind of seems like, you know, maybe... Nope, that's a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it there. But as we come back from this, Mm -hmm. Perrin gets lost in a kind of in his thoughts about the Mm -hmm. places that were mentioned by Rain. And he recognizes the eye of the world from his dreams. Mm -hmm. And I just have to point out, you know, Yay, hello, this is the first mention of the name of the book. Oh, and yeah. I remember when we read New Spring, that came up very early in one uh-huh. of the first chapters. It might actually yeah. have been the first chapter with Lan on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. But it took us a little bit longer to get there. So, yeah. It always shows up. Yep, it always it, shows up. It does. It does. And I I had fun with that. So that's kind of where we end off. Mm-hmm. They There are a few other little things that happen. Egwene comes back from having a little fun time yeah. with Aram. And she's distraught. She's playing it off like things are okay. And it becomes obvious how worried she is about... Mm-hmm the other half of their party about Rand and Matt and Nynaeve. And that's kind of where we leave things off. Yeah. Yeah. She like she hugs him 
and cries and Perrin awkwardly pats her Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the back and is like, Rand would know what to do, which is another thing we see all the time because I just find it so funny anytime one of the guys is like... I just get annoyed by it. I'm like, you guys are all terrible with women. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't do what they're doing. It's already wrong. (laughs) Figure out your own way. It might be better. Maybe ask a woman how she wants to be treated by you. Right. There's an idea. Stop asking your dude bros how to treat women. (laughs) All right. Chapter 26, Whitebridge. And I I love this because you know this place that they've been talking about getting to is now going to be where we end up. That's one of the fun things about chapter titles for uh, what Jordan writes is that you get a good idea even just from that and sometimes you don't and it's mysterious and you figure it out towards the end but the voyage aboard the spray comes to an end and it feels like it is just in time Rand even makes some foolish statement about how they made it and no mutiny Oh, Rand. (laughs) Oh, Rand. Yeah, no mutiny because Tom has been greasing the wheel for you this whole journey, making sure that it doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Between his like storytelling and entertaining and Doman's trollic weapon display, that's what's kept things going on. And like even one of the the sailors overhears him and is like taken aback and looks at Rand and you're like, Rand, you big dummy, shut your face. I, yeah, so, yeah. These Doman kids, kicks, man. These kids. These kids. Doman kicks Gelb off the ship. Fucking uh, Gelb. Is, right? <laughs> I don't really know if we've like focused too much on him because he really is just like this minor part of what's going on as far as like the entire story goes, but for like these few chapters he's actually kind of important. But he's kicked off the ship. This is what Doman had said he would do. Merchants have arrived and they're coming aboard the ship. And Doman makes them wait while he offers Tom and the boys a chance to stay with him. He's like, you could keep... Like, he's aware of the mood on his ship and what Tom has been able to do. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you could stay here. I'm going to Ilian. You can make all kinds of money. And Tom thinks about it. But Rand is like... No, we we can't. We're meeting people. We're going on to Camelin. This is this. And so Dalman actually gives them their fares back, saying that they've earned it and then some, which then gives you an idea that Dalman is actually pretty decent human being. Yeah, it was it was so it was very solid of him to recognize the help that had been offered because they had been there. I wonder, too, if. Bale was kind of, I'm sure he was thankful to Tom doing everything that he did to kind mm-hmm. of contain this catastrophe of possible mutiny. Mm-hmm. But also if he's just kind of putting on an act like I'm this tough sailor captain mm-hmm. and I don't let anyone ride for free. And then, right. you know, maybe kind of turning to the side after their journey and being like, oh, here, you can have this back. It was just so the crew didn't think that I'm a soft. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he even says something when he kicks Gelb off that he has to do what he says. He's, he has to do what he says he will or there will be problems later on. And mm-hmm. I get that. Like, follow through with what you say you will do as often as possible so that... People know what to expect from you. 
So Tom, Rand, and Matt leave the ship behind, and despite wanting to get through Whitebridge without being noticed, everyone's eye is drawn towards Tom's Gleeman's cape. Why didn't he take it off? <laughs> I mean, he was like, oh. let's get through here without being noticed, but he leaves his Gleeman's cape on? Rand is not happy okay. about the attention. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like a bit of a of a mistake on Tom's part, doesn't it? Well, I'm assuming he's thinking when they get into the city, mm. he can possibly get free room and board somewhere if he kind of like shows off that he's a that gleeman, but he sense. doesn't he doesn't necessarily need to wear it right off the boat. Yeah, but that does make sense because then when he's sitting down and talking with the innkeeper later on, the innkeeper seems much more willing to sit and gab with him because he is a gleeman. So Oh yeah, that... maybe like information gathering time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm but makes... a I'm but a simple gleeman. <laughs> tell me everything. No, really, tell me everything. <laughs> And there are many Gleeman in the world. So that was just one of the things that I was like, was that? But I'm glad we talked it out because I think after doing that, it makes sense. But so no, it definitely it... almost seems unnecessary. You know, mm-hmm. they're being hunted. <laughs> right. And I mean, the description of them has most definitely been s- spread around. And what are the chances going to be of two down country boys traveling with a Gleeman? Mm-hmm. So holes whatever it's fine tom admonishes rand and matt to let him do the talking that this has to be handled carefully because they have found an end and they're going to try to see if the rest of their party has come through before them or not the innkeeper comes to their table with the wine they order and tom doesn't have to prod too hard to get the innkeeper to spill out all the big news one the hunt for the horn has been announced dun da 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 dun da 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 which i mean I don't really know what that means at this point in the book. If I'm just going off of what we have so far, except for the hunt for the horn is a big deal and the horn of Lear is a big deal. Like we know those things, but then Rand or not Rand, I'm sorry. Tom kind of mutters under his breath in the last Lorne fight against the fall of long night, the mountains stand guard and the dead shall be ward for the grave is no bar to my call. I love this. I do too. I felt like we absolutely had to put it in here because it does give you like just a taste of what the power is behind the Horn of Valir. And the power of Tom's storytelling. Yeah. The innkeeper. Yup. Is like, yes. Just, that. just like that. Just like that. <laughs> Do that. I think he says they'll be hanging from the rafters if yes. you if you tell this story. Yes. The other big news is Loghain has been captured and is on his way to Tarvalon with his Aes Sedai captors, but they will be stopping at all major cities along the way to kind of show him off. And Camelin is the next stop on their journey. So I love I love how the Red Aja is like oh, we're showing him off because mm-hmm. we want the world to know that they're safe now. Yes. But real is that really why they want to do it? I yeah, don't think so. 
it feels it feels like a propaganda campaign. Yes, yes. It's very it's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable that you would choose to display a caged and conquered human being. Right. And I mean, Loghain did a lot more than other dragons have for a while. Like he was actually able to pull together a large group of people functioning as his army and was calling them the people of the dragon and they were on their way to tear the prophecies you know mm-hmm. but and Loghain could do things like that was one of the big things about him that's why the Red Aja had to be involved was that he could channel and the dragon before him that this innkeeper mentioned couldn't do that. Tom then begins to describe the people they're looking for to the innkeeper, and he lets them know that there have been others looking for them, but not who they are looking for. So the innkeeper has heard the descriptions of these people before from first a crazy man who seems mostly looking for the boys. I wonder who that could be. (laughs) Right. What crazy man has been running around in tattered clothes? (laughs) Acting regal one moment and like a sniveling wreck the next. Who who could this be? Perhaps a man that is more raven than man. Perhaps a man that is more something than man. (laughs) Poor this guy. Poor man. I really like this part just kind of baffled me. Um, And then the second, the second person, person quotations that is looking for them is obviously a murdral based on the description. And all three of these guys, Tom, Rand, Matt, they know it. Yeah. They know it. And they know that they are being looked for now. And so the innkeeper gives them back their money. This is funny. This is the second person to be like, I don't want your money. Take it back. And he's like, if you're smart, you will get the fuck out of Whitebridge. So Tom heeds the innkeeper's warning, but they are now aware of the conversation happening on the other side of the wall in the tavern room. It's Gelb. Fucking Gelb. Fucking Gelb. Fucking Gelb. Trying to get people to listen to him about the woes of his time on the spray. And he's talking about Tom and Matt and Rand and how they're dark friends and how they have done wrong by him and Doman is a dark friend because there are Trollocs after him and everyone's like, oh, ha, 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 you're a fucking crazy dude. (laughs) But the only way to get out of the inn is to go past where Gelb is talking to this group of people and they're like, damn it, Gelb. Exactly. So, of course, they slip out the window. What else do you do in a situation Mm -hmm. like that? That's what I would do, too. I'd be Mm -hmm. like, fuck this shit. I'm going out the damn window. So there's an alley behind them, of course, and they're talking, and Tom takes off his cloak, and he wraps up his harp and flute so that, like, all the patches are hidden. Mm -hmm. And he, like, he heads off. Actually, before I get to that part, as they're going through this process of running away, Matt has demand demanded multiple times to know why Tom is helping them. And this is where we learn about Tom's nephew, Owen, and that he, his, his nephew, Owen, had been able to channel and that he was hunted down by Red Aja and that basically Aes Sedai killed him. So 
once Owen had been gentled, like he never proclaimed himself as the dragon reborn or anything. So once they were done gentling him, he was able to just kind of sort of live his life. Mm -hmm. And for him that he just faded away and died. And Tom feels incredibly guilty about it, that he felt other things in his life were more important than basically the last of his bloodline family. Mm -hmm. So definitely a heart full of sadness for Tom and a deepening of understanding of who he is as a character and why he's there and feels such a pull to protect Rand and Matt. Um, And I love that because I just, I love Tom. So Tom walks away and he tells them to stay where they are. And when he comes back, they're going to figure out a way to leave. And Matt and Rand are sitting there when a cloaked figure shows up in the alley, a tall man in a dark cloak. And of course, it's Tom. It could have been a murderal, but it's Tom. What I think is interesting about this. Master of disguises. Exactly. He is no longer stoop shouldered. Like. Going back to the beginning of Eye of the World, mm-hmm. and we meet Tom, and he is a stoop-shouldered, white-haired gleeman. And now he is a tall man in a cloak striding forward in a way that inspires fear in Matt and Rand. So, hell yeah, Tom. He's, just, the coast he's, is, such, a, he's such a cool character. He's such a cool character. Thinking the coast is clear, they start to head away from the alley one by one. Rand scans the square they are walking across, and when he begins to sweep back, a murdral was halfway across the square. It strode toward the three of them with the slow deadliness of predator with the prey under its gaze. And Tam, or I'm sorry, I said Tam, Tom, in a moment of utter brilliance and bravery, shoves his pack with his harp and his flute in it at Rand and is like, run and run, you fools. Yes, like yells for them to run. And then he attacks the Madral, which of course throws the Madral off balance. And this moment is just, it's crazy. Like there's this bright flash of blue and white light and they hear Tom yelling for them to still run and Matt and Rand run. I would too. This is that moment when Gandalf is like hanging on the bridge and he's like, <laughs> run, you fools. Or is it fly, you fool? I don't remember. Yes, but. it is. You're so right. Good point. Um, and this is, as far as I'm aware of, this is the death of our first main character. Like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And it's Tom. So extra sad. But I like, was... On my first read, I was really upset about this just because I was, I don't know, I was finally, like I said, I was starting to actually really like the novel at this point. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. no. Yes, like <laughs> one of one of the richest characters yeah. so far that was having all of these things unravel about him and his past and all of a sudden he's just gone. As Matt and Rand run away, they get to a point where they just can't run any longer and they have to take a break. And Rand feels pulled to go back and look for Tom. And Matt is like, are you nuts? We cannot do that. Mm -hmm. We have to keep running. And so they have accepted the fact that they've lost someone from their party. And they're still in that place where they don't know if anyone else from their party is 
alive at all either. So this right. is a pretty this is a pretty dark moment, I would say, for Matt and Rand. And the chapter wraps up saying, sometimes Rand looked back, but the road behind was always empty. Oh. And it just, I know, right? Like, you just feel your heart kind of sink yeah. for him. They've been put in all of these awful positions, and now they're just two young men from a village on their own trying to get to Camelin, and they're going to have to figure it out as they go. And it's not going to be easy, you know? So Absolutely. Yeah, that part, like, where that ends off, my heart just, like, it sinks. It makes me sad. I agree. And but I you guess... know what will make me happy? <laughs> what? <laughs> Tell me. Spoilers. Spoilers make me happy, Amber. Yes. Yes. Yep. So does break time. Now, whatever. We'll figure it out. Spoilers. <laughs> now. Spoilers. <laughs> Let's go. So one of the first things that stood out to me in chapter 23, the Wolf Brother chapter, uh-huh. is how obviously I had mentioned how poor Bella was so burdened mm-hmm. with Perrin riding her. Mm-hmm. So Perrin has to be massive, right? Because yeah. Rand comments earlier on in a chapter, he's like, oh, I ride Bella all the time and mm-hmm. it's not a problem for him. Mm-hmm. And we know that Rand is much bigger than some of the other boys in the village. He's he's much taller, but he also yeah. has very broad shoulders. Mm-hmm. So if Perrin is outweighing Rand by that much that mm-hmm. it's actually affecting a horse, just right. how big is Perrin? I mean, he's I wonder that too. Massive, like, massive. He's got to have like those. Because we get those descriptions where, like, his arms were as big as tree trunks or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's not who that gets described as. But, like, there are frequent mentions of how muscled he is, how broad his shoulders are. Like, I I don't... I don't picture him as being exceptionally tall, but I do picture him as being kind of, like, beefcake kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> For lack of a better word at the moment. Well, like, yeah, like one of these, like someone who would take part in these strong men competitions Mm, mm -hmm. that, you know, that can just. He's one of those guys that does like the log tossing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where they get the tree trunks and they they throw them. Isn't that a Scottish Highland game, I think? Where they carry like tire truck. Tree trunks. Well, (laughs) the strong men, on the strong men competition competitions they'll like flip these giant tractor tires (gasps) shut up yeah i think they're tractor tires they're just really big tires (laughs) i don't know i'm not (laughs) is it from a combine i really i don't know i can't tell you about farm machinery (laughs) you're not an aficionado aficionado of farm equipment amber no i'm sorry that that is just not something that i've (laughs) had to you know know up until now apparently. up until now yeah you didn't even know you needed it now We're, so. we, we need rob he knew that chickens <laughs> hide their eggs maybe he knows about strongman contests <laughs> tractor what? tires tractor tires hey rob message us <laughs> 
He's our, uh, our fact checker here. He is. I love it. I love it. It makes me so happy. Yeah. So that was just, I mean, it's it's not really a spoiler, but the fact that if he's outweighing Rand by that much. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh <laughs> Tell me. Man, Tell me. That kombucha makes me belch. <laughs> Excuse me. That should stay in. <laughs> I'm such a lady. I'm such a lady. What if, what if Perrin's wolf brother abilities are starting to come out? And it's not necessarily that Perrin is so much bigger. It's that he's beginning to feel foreign to Bella. That's a good, that's a good theory. Would that make sense? Because she kind of like side eyes him mm-hmm. you know and she does the same thing to the wolves once she gets like used to them being there yeah with the actual wolves though she's terrified mm-hmm. you know her eyes are kind of rolling around like mm-hmm. oh shit Where, what are you doing to me where are we going I don't like this <laughs> everything since we left Emmonsfield has sucked <laughs> <laughs> I've had to run, which I don't like. I've had to swim across the river. And now I have to hang out with fucking wolves. I hate you all. It's the worst vacation ever. Right? This is all Bella's internal dialogue. In case anyone was wondering where that was going. It's like, just give me the plow. I'll go back to plowing. God damn it. Everyone wants to get back to the the two rivers so they can tend sheep and farmland. Even Bella. Even Bella just wants to get back. Okay, sorry about that. And the (sighs) other, the the next thing that I noticed, I guess it was more of like a question because as her and Perrin have been channeling together, she hasn't been able to light the fire with channeling. Mm -hmm. She only was able to do it before Perrin and her were reunited. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, you know, is it nerves? Is it worry? What changed in her that she isn't able to do it anymore? Mm-hmm. Or is it just the author needed to set up Elias's introduction <laughs> with like food and fire? You know what I mean? I actually kind of thought about that as well. And I think where I came out on it is a lot of times when you're first learning how to use the one power, actually being able to touch it and use it is not something that is guaranteed every single time. Like it's something that they have to practice to be able to use it. And so the first only... one was just kind of like beginner's luck. Kind of, yeah. Like she really hasn't been instructed fully on what she needs to do. Like she's been working with Maureen, but only for like a week or two, right? So she's still at like the very, very beginning of what she's doing. And Maureen is probably doing as much teaching her about what to expect in the White Tower as she is teaching her about how to safely channel at her skill How to actually touch the source. Yeah. So that that was kind of what I had thought too because I I asked the same question when I was reading it and that was that was where I came out on that. Um the other thing that I thought that was also just kind of interesting is that Robert Jordan chose for the alpha wolf of the pack to be female. <laughs> Ooh, 
Indeed. And how we had talked about how everything in the Wheel of Time, there's a lot of balance, but there's also a lot of opposites and... Mm -hmm. A lot of the topics in the books are very gendered. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he kind of subverted the expectation of the wolf pack having, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the male wolf. And even Elias says that Dapple isn't as strong as the other wolves, but mm-hmm. she's the leader because she's, she's the smartest. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And I was like, oh, even the wolves are, you know, have kind of these flipped roles and there's gender everywhere. And it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate the fact that there is that flip from like certain expectations and really also the fact that like even in situations where it almost feels as though women are fulfilling the role that they are quote-unquote expected to mm-hmm. there's still that observation that little, yeah they still have power mm-hmm. they still have influence and i appreciate that because that's how i feel about women through the centuries that even if we have been deprived of specific of specific rights as females we have been able to exert our influence and power in other ways. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we do not deserve equal rights and everything. I just would like to point out that women are really bad at just shutting up and doing nothing. <laughs> 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 like, sparks that have started revolutions have happened because of women. Just saying. Um, so I do, I really appreciate the fact that that is a nod that he focuses on for mm-hmm. And for Yeah, and I just... Us. And I just love how it even, like, trickled into the animals, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, indeed. The thing that I thought was really funny on this one that I forgot to mention in the non-spoiler section is when parent, and I'm sorry, not parent, God, ugh, when Egwene tries to get Elias to ride Bella, too, and she tries <laughs> staring him down the way that she does to parent, yeah. and he's like, I said no, girl. The female characters, especially Egwene at this point, Her being bossy, not a problem, not Mm -hmm. at all. But I also love that Elias has, he's had experience within the White Tower. We know from Mm -hmm. later Mm -hmm. on that he was actually a warder. And that's one of the things that I'm sure Rain was trying to get him to talk about. And he was like, Mm -hmm. "Eh, Mm -mm. (laughs) you know, we're not going to talk about that. Not your story to tell. Not today. Mm -mm. But. I think it's interesting how Egwene has, up until this point in the story, kind of parroted Mm. other female characters that she looks up to. That's a good point. She's really looking up to Moraine and has full confidence in Moraine. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she meets Moraine, she's like, yes, I'm going to be an Aes Sedai. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Love this idea. (laughs) Looking forward to doing this. And... She's looking at Moraine as kind of a mentor. And before Moraine, mm-hmm. it was Nynaeve. Nynaeve. She was going to be a wisdom. She was, you know, all about that. So I think that Egwene is a really interesting character. I just don't know if I would ever want to hang out with her in real life. <laughs> I don't know. But Elias is just not having it Yeah, He's like, girl, He's like, mm-hmm. just shush. 
And the fact that he calls her girl makes me giggle a little. Like, nothing against a queen. I love a queen. But she just, I don't know. She needs to remember there's still a lot for her to learn. I think that's... Yeah, yeah, I think, I that's, think that's what it is. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's she feels as though these, like, couple weeks outside of her village... Yes. Is, like, you know, <laughs> suddenly elevated her somehow into, like, bossing around a grown man who talks she's, to wolves. Yeah. She's been on she's been on the road to Tarvalin for a week, <laughs> and all of a sudden she's seeing herself, mm-hmm. or maybe not seeing herself as an Aes Sedai, but kind of already practicing her... Yes. Like what she's seen from Moraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I like this. I like where this conversation has gone. Um, I don't really know if I have anything else for Wolf Brother. Me just either. The, just, just the fact that there's going to be a lot of dream stuff that mm-hmm. will happen. And I really, like you had said earlier, this is a really fun way of looking at magic that isn't connected to the one power in any way and this is really like this is going to help Perrin tremendously but then I also think about the Aiel wise ones and how they Mm -hmm. have the ability to walk dreams and that's not necessarily magic but it sure is handy and it's not something that every Aes Sedai or woman who can channel can do so it's Mm -hmm. more like a personal thing that isn't connected to the one power, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So then chapter 24? Yes. This, again, this is actually perfect because we were just talking about dreams and the importance of dreams in the series I think is actually really fun because what happens in dreams is different than in real life and has different rules and blah, blah, blah. But I like that we get this description of The light did not come from lamps or lanterns or torches. It was simply there. And that's what we see later on. Like when a queen becomes a dream walker and Teleron Riyadh always has light, but it doesn't really come from What was happening? What was happening? This was Rand's nightmare sequence. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, that's where chapter 24 opens, Rand in Nightmare Land. But then what I really like about this, because this has stuck with me since reading like the last few books is Rand saying or thinking overhead and not too far overhead at that boiled furious steely clouds streaked with black and we know at this point Ishamael is the one who's creating these dreams and Ishamael has a thing for creating specific really detailed and intricate dream shards for the people that he's tormenting through dreaming but the other thing was that we know later on Luce Theron wasn't really strong at dreamwalking, but it seems like Rand has kind of caught on to this pretty quickly. Yes. Like he, he does this whole, this is a dream, and it stops Ishamael in his tracks so that he can run away. And he learns, like he repeats things like thinking is dangerous here and distances are not what they appear. So he's picking up on all of these things relatively quickly. So maybe... Maybe Rand is somehow a dreamwalker too at this point, or at least starting to be, because it's not really something that is just either male or female. Right. So he could, maybe he's he's a dreamwalker too. And too, he's just, you know, he hasn't had anyone to teach him anything either. So mm-hmm. even if he, 
maybe this could just be the beginnings of it kind of poking through and Mm -hmm. and then the dangers of what happens in the world of dreams remains when you wake so when he wakes up and he's bleeding and his finger still hurts and everything one i just i don't i don't really get that because we also know you can enter the dream in the flesh and that that is more dangerous for you to do than if you you just go in whatever spirit form it is that enters Teleron Riyadh. This is, yeah, this is the problem with books or film or TV series where you have a complicated setup where you're kind of, uh, how do I explain this? You're able to travel between worlds and mm-hmm. exactly how dangerous and what's can it be and what stays with you mm-hmm. what comes back with you how does it kill you how can it injure you mm-hmm. so it's kind of you have to bridge all of these very it seems like metaphysical yeah types of ideas and it's very hard for me to wrap my brain around it mm-hmm. so I try not to dwell on it too much because <laughs> then I'll just you know yeah I'll just confuse myself but yeah it's really it's really interesting it if you poke your finger there and you yeah. wake up is it st- it's still with you okay uh-huh. it's still with you but yeah yeah because I also think about how especially in the battle for the white tower where it's happening both in Teleron Riyadh and in the physical plane, physical plane, excuse me, at the same time. And women are dying in Teleron Riyadh who could have been used in the real world. Isn't that how that happens? Isn't it overlaying? Yeah. I I would have to reread that. I've only read that part once and it's madness. Yes. That chapter is chaos yeah Karen shows up yep Egwene is like holy shit what are you doing here you know and he's like what the fuck is going on here and then he gets bail fired and he's like um no doesn't exist yeah no thanks I do I love that because I think Perrin gives Egwene such an important piece of advice in saying it's just it's just a weave yeah it's just a weave and that's do it this is Teleron Riyadh you can do anything and Egwene is like I can do anything Yeah, it's so interesting, though, that it happens with Nynaeve and Mogidian Mm -hmm. with the fork root, Mm -hmm. where she's just like, oh, well, I just fork rooted you Mm -hmm. like a mind terrorist, and (laughs) now you're fucked. You know what I mean? Because Mogidian believed it. Yep. Yep. Had she not. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have affected her. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so cool. I love mm-hmm. that. I do love that. It is really complicated, though. And, well, maybe not Maybe not as complicated as what I was talking about for, before with these really in-depth metaphysical type things. But I love how Egwene kind of took that moment and mm-hmm. then made it something her own and made it basically the saving weave of humanity at this point you know what I mean yeah just really really impressive and that's one thing that I will always love about Egwene is just she is this a plus student of the world and Mm -hmm. anything that she is handed 
she can usually make something better. Mm -hmm. And despite maybe me not loving her personality (laughs) sometimes, I do think she's great. Mm -hmm. Same. So I thought that I just – anything to do with the world of dreams always catches my interest because I just – I love I love the thoughts of dreams and how they have been a source of stories and magic for centuries in the real world. So mm-hmm. that that was just something that that I appreci- appreciated. I have a, I have a question. Um, yeah, in this dream, Rand's face mm. does he does he does he lose his reflection or what was it? It feels as though so I think it says that he is surrounded by mirrors and it flashes between his face and Balzaman's face. And so what I think of is that optic illusion where there's like a round card and on one side there's a bird and on the other side there's a mm. cage. And if you yeah, spin it real yeah. fast, there's a bird in a cage. That's mm-hmm. what I think of in that moment. Is Ooh, that that's a really that's They're, a really cool yeah, <laughs> description. Like, I love it. <laughs> That's what I think of when I see that as like the spinning that like overlays them in such a way it's impossible to tell that they're two different things any longer. Wheel of Time on Prime. I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll no, just and I sent this off. Right. Like, I I really I really liked this kind of jarring moment mm, because it's mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it was 100% foreshadowing of mm-hmm. them becoming one, them one bodies, bo- mm-hmm. switching bodies, I guess. Whatever happens there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a bit crazy. But yeah, that's a good point, too, that they are destined by the end of the the thing to swap faces. Yeah. So... Wow. Like all the way back in book one? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I love the scene where Bale is talking about all of the wonders that he has seen and that by the end of the series we see inside the Tower of Genjai um, the giant sphere crystal held by a giant stone hand on Tremalking. So that's we that, That's the... The Choden call. The Choden call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the one that Egwene channels through later on. Isn't that? What I she... don't. I don't remember that at all. So I don't. I don't remember either. <laughs> I do know that at some point, light floods through the crystal on Tremel King, and that's when they all kill themselves. So that was after the cleansing of Sidene. Yes. Oh, Nynaeve would have been channeling through it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That puts that much more in place for me. Um, because for someone, I, like, I thought Egwene had channeled through that, and then that led to her death. It's possible, but I don't remember. I don't. Sorry. I don't either. No, no, no. <laughs> it's totally okay. We absolutely 100% admit that we do not know everything about this series, so... <laughs> Someone will know, someone will tell us, and we will be appreciative. Um, But then also the museum and the Panarch's Palace. I like that because we really get to get inside that museum when Nynaeve and Nguyen... Nope, it's Nynaeve and Elaine who are looking for that in 
that's what that's one of the Mogidian face off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Elaine says something about how she felt two women channeling mm-hmm. enough to shake down the palace. <laughs> that's what happens uh. when you eat too many of those ice peppers. <laughs> It was just indigestion. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, Balefire. (laughs) Hiccup, Balefire. (laughs) Poor Nine Eve. She had no idea. But then it looks like you had a couple notes on this too. Yes. Okay. The quote that you pulled from earlier, it says something like a mountain hollowed out with a Mm -hmm. pole shooting out the middle and anyone who comes near it dies. As I was visualizing that, all I could think of is like a giant satellite. Mm. Mm. And then it sounded like radiation. Like Interesting. You know what I mean? Like anyone that gets close mm-hmm. to it dies. Or, you know, something like a, but like a laser, something that would shoot like a laser. So mm. like some type of microwaves. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from, I from the age of legends. Yes, and I love where this is going because this is one of those moments where I'm like, all oh, the sci-fi, all the everything. I yes. love it. Yes. Yeah. And I put something on Discord yesterday regarding the crystal lattice covering an island and it hums when the moon is up. Mm-hmm. And call me call me Nikomi mm-hmm. sent me this. Um, my brain keeps trying to make sense of it through human habitations from the expanse, but having something to do with lunar harmonics. And when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I pictured it in my head. Because on Ganymede, on one of the moons, they have these gardens there. And it is just like a big bubble, but it's kind of like layers of glass within layers of glass and it's all paned into these big spaces. So it almost does look like a crystal lattice Mm -hmm. and humming when the moon is up. So the humming starts when the sun goes down. So what what could this be? Is this just like a giant glass garden or something? Mm. Are Are they channeling growing food in there what is going on what is this interesting interesting yeah I have I that goes off in directions that I hadn't thought about before but no it's it's one of these situations where I love that it's going in a kind of sci-fi direction Mm -hmm. and when I see these things Mm. when I in my head I'm thinking okay that that feels like man-made structures like on the moon or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like an atmosphere unit yes yes Mm -hmm. that was another thing she wrote biodome lol Mm -hmm. (laughs) no i mean really because this is kind of like this image that you sent this is kind of what pops up into my brain when i think about it even like down to that honeycomb pattern you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's a screen grab from one of the episodes of The Expanse from the garden that they have on Ganymede on one of the moons there where they've got, you know, their, yeah, their yeah. growing stuff in there. Yeah, that's where, uh, what's his face was working? Yes, Prax. The guy, yeah, oh, Prax. 
Love this him. is my best friend in the whole world. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Tears. <sighs> okay. This is not an expanse podcast, Amber. But, yeah. Um, Adrian wrote, I always figured it was an Ogier creation and they are supposed Ooh. to be from another world. So maybe. Ooh. Well, and that ties back to what we were talking about last week with the sentient creatures mm-hmm. and how they are potentially from another world. Like. We are told by other Forsaken that men used to travel the stars, so that makes a lot of other things possible that don't exist within mm-hmm. the frame of the world that Jordan is building right now. But it does give a really fun platform for what was there before. Yes, and the Ogier are builders. So. Exactly. Ooh. <laughs> so, I mean, we know that they've created... The Ogier have created things with male channelers they've Mm -hmm. created you know the all these the the ways Mm -hmm. so who's to say they didn't create the structure and then channelers were able to create like something that's like a glass or this Mm -hmm. crystal lattice Mm -hmm. but I just don't know what it would be for Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Robert Jordan, in the back of his head, knew exactly what he wanted it to be, but mm-hmm. just gave it this vague description to kind of be like, oh, okay, I wonder if anyone will figure this out. <laughs> yeah, because he does that so often where he's like, like in the Panarch's Palace when he's discussing what one of the the creatures looks like, and you're like, oh, that's like a woolly mammoth, you know, or something like that. And I mean, maybe it's not exactly a woolly mammoth, but because we know what those bone structures right. look like. We can pick up on what this potential creature right. would have looked like when it had flesh and skin and stuff. So, yeah, I really – I love the things that he tosses out there. This world is so rich, and it's one of the things that I love the most about it. And I think it's why it just remains my absolute favorite fantasy series. I try so hard to read other ones, and I'm just like – all it does is inspire me to go back and read <laughs> The Wheel of Time again. It's ridiculous. It's bad. It's a good thing I have a lot of books to read that are nonfiction and fun. The traveling Nonfiction people? and fun. The traveling people. Yeah. The first thing that I wrote down for this section, is it okay for us to start with this? Yeah, go so, for it. Okay. So Perrin meeting Aram for the first time. And now, all the way through the series, knowing Perrin is going to kill Aram. I'm nodding my head. <laughs> yes. It was just one of those moments where I, like, looked at my book and said, fuck. Well, even the thing to me that stood out the most, meeting Aram again, you mm-hmm. know, for the second time, I forgot that Perrin had kind of likened him to a player or mm-hmm. someone that's just leading on young women. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't know if that's really true or not, but it's just, you know, Perrin making a judgment call. Mm-hmm. And knowing what we know about Aram later on, I'm like, oh, okay. He mm-hmm. does seem to be very sure of himself. And I could see him being exactly what Perrin thought he was mm-hmm. because he, you know, at the drop of the hat, he leaves his culture behind, mm-hmm. he goes against his own religion, and then picks up a sword. You know, he, he becomes a fighter. And then mm-hmm. not only that, he gets kind of uh, 
brainwashed what, yeah brainwashed by the prophet mm-hmm. so i don't know this guy just he just seems like an a-hole to start mm-hmm. out with so maybe perrin was right about something well and even isla says something as he's leaving that he's a troubled soul and perrin when he's talking about the way of the leaf and kind of arguing against it he said something and aram's response or like the look that flashed across his face. I think in the book it says it had nothing to do with the way of the leaf. So Aram feels a bit like a simmering pot anyway. Like it's just going to take yeah. a specific event to push him in a different direction. And that's exactly yeah. what happens later on in the series. So I like that we get introduced to him this way. I always forget about a queen's connection to Aram and how she went off dancing with him and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, what a lovely boy. I had a great time. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about these connections to this one character who then has this tremendous shift. Like, he's one of those side characters who's not a side character mm-hmm. kind of character. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, his his whole thing, like, from Tuatha on to crazy person trying to kill parent and then parent then has to kill it's just really tragic it is a tragic story absolutely that was was all usually spoiler (laughs) sections are a bit more lighthearted and fun than that but there are some very heavy moments in this series and sometimes Mm -hmm. things just hit me really hard and that was one of them. This is also the next thing that I wanted to say isn't as lighthearted as I would <laughs> like. But I mean, when I'm reading this and Perrin is becoming aware that he has these extra senses and he's can basically start to communicate with wolves telepathically, mm-hmm. something inside of me just wants to scream, you know, quit being so sad. It's awesome this is freaking amazing are you kidding me right you and can talk to wolves right do you know what a queen would give to be able to do that right <laughs> then she could start her Egwene talking to wolves school or for women apprenticeship who can yeah <laughs> apprenticeship but it's something that I have always thought about where I'm like I want to yell at pear and like quit being so Eeyore-ish, just, mm-hmm. you know, deal with it. But then I have to look at things realistically. And I think that we are pretty used to, I mean, j- just look at it like this. From the time that we are small small children reading children's books, mm-hmm. how often are humans able to talk with animals? This is something that, you know, we've had around forever, mm-hmm. starting yeah. out from when we were kids. So it it just screams to me like, this is cool. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. But then when you really think about it, it's almost kind of like, okay, if I went up and saw someone on the street and they were like, oh, I can have telepathic conversations with animals, <laughs> they would, you know, this person would be institutionalized. Yes. Yeah. Hands down, this is not something that happens Mm -hmm. and in this world it is also something that doesn't happen to the point where in our whole story we meet three people Mm -hmm. out of the how many thousands of characters that are Mm -hmm. introduced in eye of the world it's over two thousand yeah 
So, I mean, in this world, it is not normal. Mm-hmm. So Perrin has to be thinking to himself, I can't tell anyone this. People won't believe me. And of course, magic is available in this world, mm-hmm. but it's just Sidene and Sidar. Like, it has its set ground rules for magic. So mm-hmm. someone can't just walk up to our main characters and be like, Oh, and by the way, I can what's something crazy? Just shape shape shift or something. I can, you know what I mean? I can literally I can become a watch. Yeah. I can That's turn into skill. I can turn into a bird right now. Yeah. You know, this story has its magical boundaries and there it's has its limits. Mm-hmm. And this is one of these things that Perrin didn't think was possible in this world. Mm-hmm. So of course he's going to be freaked out by it. And of course, he's going to be scared to tell anyone. Mm -hmm. They're going to think he's crazy. Well, at this point in the story, we know that the Trollocs, the Merdral, the Dark One is hunting someone. And it's going to be someone in their little group who does things or is capable of doing something different. And Mm -hmm. now we have Matt, who can speak in the old tongue sometimes, Mm -hmm. Perrin, who is learning that he can speak to wolves, Mm -hmm. and Rand is just acting like an idiot. So Well, (laughs) it it almost makes Rand that much more boring because he's just a regular old male channeler. Yeah. He's not really doing anything, like, super exciting or different or whatever. It's just he... I mean, we don't know it right now in the books, but he can channel. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that is a big deal but at this point not it the direction almost points off to Perrin and Matt for those differences and yeah. even though Rand is very central to this and you feel that way it I think this gives a moment for you to kind of wonder could it be Matt or Perrin so I appreciate the I way don't. That this is done <laughs> you don't you don't no. I do no okay I don't I don't think that it ever felt ever that it was Matt or Perrin and okay Never once. I just think that it made their characters much more lovable and Mm -hmm. much more exciting. Mm -hmm. I think that Rand, I don't want to say that Rand is boring, but Mm -hmm. in the terms of his skill set, if you compare it with the other two, Mm -hmm. eh, it's kind of boring. I mean, it's kind of boring. Almost everyone can channel in this series. Like, so many of our main characters can channel. So it's That's kind true. of like, okay, there's a lot of channelers. But uh-huh. having, like, infinity luck or mm-hmm. being able to speak with animals and have all of these extra senses like that's pretty cool and that makes yeah. them one in a million compared to Ran just being like well I can channel <laughs> but I don't think that I ever um, oh, I like that I, I just I, I never questioned that it was not Rand and you actually describing it that way makes me feel as though it puts Matt and Perrin more on even footing with Rand. yeah yeah you know like and i how often do the wolves make the winning difference in a situation you right. know and of course i mean rand's powers are he's much more deadly than matt or Perrin. Perrin. you know his powers level an entire na- like city he can just mm-hmm. blow things up with hardly any you know not even trying yeah but I think Matt 
and Perrin's powers are much more unique. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't he they wouldn't be able to fight Rand's, you know, and win. Yeah. But it's it's totally different than what we've seen in this world, I guess. Yeah, yeah and they make like the best allies. Yeah, exactly. You That's know? that that Taviran pull Rand knows that he can't and is it Min's vision that he she sees that they can't he can't win without them by his side and yep. I think it's not only it's because they're great people that you know care for Rand and want mm-hmm. to help him but it's because they have these very specific skill sets within yeah. their magic I guess yeah oh that's fun that was fun <laughs> that's fun <laughs> Interesting. Ooh, okay, that's super fun. The other thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about that is that Perrin is the only one who has, like, a physical change to his body that he yeah. can't really hide that indicates yeah, who he is, what he can do. And mm-hmm. so there's no hiding this for him. Like, he becomes mm-hmm. Perrin golden eyes for a reason, Rand can put gloves on and you don't know that his palms are burned and Matt just looks like fucking Matt and he wears a scarf around his neck to hide the fact that he was hung. But even that doesn't necessarily, I mean, it would be a good story, but it's not yellow eyes, you know? Yeah. The only, the only thing that kind of goes along with that is Rand and Matt both go through disfigurements later on. Yeah. Yeah. That they can't, that they can't hide, but it's 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 different than looking enchanted or something. Right, versus, exactly. Yeah, and people it's can catch... people can understand how someone loses an arm, but yeah. they can't understand why are how your eyes yellow? Has yellow eyes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was I just thought that was really I thought that was really fun. The next thing I wanted to talk about is just I honestly 100% forgot about Egwene accusing the Tinkers of mm-hmm. what was it stealing anything stealing. that isn't nailed down. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this is again the wheel of time mirroring our own world where mm-hmm. we see people mm-hmm. who have stereotypes or mm-hmm. you know racism against people that they don't know enough about Mm -hmm. and I had already talked about the comparison with Perrin and I think it's interesting that it's almost a subtle nod to Perrin opening up the two rivers as Mm -hmm. a refuge for outsiders being displaced so you can see Perrin kind of already being established as someone who doesn't care about other people's beliefs and cultures as mm-hmm. long as, you know, you're a good person. He's mm-hmm. like, you're on my side. You can be one with, you know, my nation. And Yeah, for him, it was, mm-hmm. it was what the traveling people could do. Mm-hmm. For him, it was, mm-hmm. I, I want to see this group of people that is specifically kept out of where I live because they they do things and I think the things they do mm-hmm. are really cool and he just looks completely past all of these stereotypes that are obviously fed into the two rivers as a community because so they're mm-hmm. not even allowed to cross the river so 
I don't know. I just, where Aguine is coming from, I feel is. It's just disappointing. It is. <laughs> and, but I also feel like someone had to be the person to say it. Well, a- absolutely. And that's, I mean, what I said earlier about how it mirrors our world. Mm-hmm. You know, little kids don't think this person is bad because they look different than me. Little kids don't care about that. If you put a group of kids in a room, they're all going to play with each other. What's going to happen is when a little kid repeats something that it heard his or her parents say, Mm -hmm. that's when they start getting these ideas of, yeah, it's not something that I really want to talk too much much about because it's just, ugh. It it's a really it's a complicated and complex topic and I think it's just really smart to acknowledge the fact that it's something that is reflected in the wheel of time exactly. we do see it brought up we do see it addressed too like that was one of the things that I liked about this moment was mm-hmm. Elias being like oh yeah and I bet you heard they steal babies too like mm-hmm. he he doesn't even hesitate to just snap right back at her. And she feels ashamed. And I think that that really helps Aguin to walk into this situation looking at things differently. Had Elias not said anything, had Perrin agreed with Aguin, mm-hmm. she would have walked in there with these misconceptions still as the primary source mm-hmm. of thought for herself. And instead, Elias is like, that's just fucking foolish. And that's the thing that's so important important is because had Elias not said something and Mm -hmm. put her in her place and shut it down immediately Mm -hmm. we might not have gotten the Egwene that we have we might we might we might have gotten an Egwene who was not cool with being a student of the Aiel Wise Ones, mm-hmm. you know, she experienced... Or the Aes Sedai. Well, I think she was, she was going to become an Aes Sedai no matter what. Like, right, but, she... like, she she was brought up thinking Aes Sedai mm. are dark friends. She's brought up thinking that Tuatha'an are people that just steal and run away with young children from mm-hmm. farms. She has really not a lot to go on with the Aiel. And so, but I think you're right. It's a, by ma- the time, it's a matter of exposure for exactly. her. Exactly. I think by the time she gets to that, she's learning, like she learns that Moraine is in no way a dark friend. She learns right. that the traveling people are kind and opening and love to dance. And so, and then when she, she begins to open herself up. And I think in her learning to open herself up, she also learns to open up herself to being wrong. And this, I think this is what the thing is that kind of separates a queen from who she is now and who she becomes. I don't see, yeah, with Egwene, it's so difficult for me to think about because in so many ways, I want to cheer her on mm-hmm. and celebrate all the great things that she's done. But then in the same way, I see things that she has done that were pretty unsavory where I'm mm-hmm. just like, girl, like, mm-hmm. come on. You have the potential to be this amazing person. And mm-hmm. I just... I, I just, oh, it hurts me. It hurts me. I'm sorry. But but it's it's moments like these where, like you said, 
it is acknowledged in the books. And I think it it shows that these are issues that happen no matter where you're from, mm-hmm. even in fantasy mm-hmm. worlds, and it's appreciated. But anyways, this is a big shift for Egwene, and she ends up observing all these different cultures by osmosis, and mm-hmm. it starts here. So this is yeah. her first taste of an outside culture. So very yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, I agree. I I I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> My talking skills today have uh been less than great. Um My very last thing before moving on from this sure. um chapter. I feel terrible for readers who were there from the very beginning who wanted to know if the Tinkers would ever find their song. Had to wait until Brandon Sanderson finished the book and got nothing. I have a thought (laughs) on the song, actually. So I'm really glad that you mentioned it because, and I think we've talked about this, about how the the song is probably connected to seed singing. Right? That's We talked about that in a previous episode and then Brandon Sanderson was interviewed saying no it's oh, not that it's not that at all okay then okay never mind my thought I'd, is done yeah I <laughs> shit <laughs> no, no because I was gonna say if that is what they're looking for they would never be able to find it because there are no more nim to complete that right. that circle so either way they get no song no song so for not, you. <laughs> no song for you, traveling people. Sorry, no, your whole purpose. Um, but no, that's just a thing, though. I I don't know if Brandon Sanderson had a note in his hand that said this is absolutely not the case, mm-hmm. or if it was, I have no, you know, like, I haven't been left word. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's a question to dig into. Yeah, I'm not – and it says on the Wheel of Time wiki un, where seed singing, under seed singing, that it's a no from him. So, hmm. I I mean, I don't know. I don't Interesting. know. Interesting. Well, I'm glad that we talked about it. I, You know what? I was thinking when the Tuathan are talking about how the Aiel, only the, only the children are allowed to sing – Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, they can only sing war songs. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if them finding the song is them wanting, okay, the, the culture is separated, and then we have the Aiel and the Tinkers. I just wonder if the song to them is not something they're actually looking for, like a physical thing, mm. but just wishing for a time when the cultures were one and the Aiel didn't partake in violence Ooh, so more concept yeah yeah if that makes sense it does and i like it like they it's been so long they just kind of forgot what like the whole yeah yeah oh i like that i like that a lot because i mean it does like when you think about songs when you think about music at least for me i think about harmony 
and I think about oh. things that like create yes. emotion and connection. And so maybe the song is just a part of the way mm-hmm. of the leaf. And mm-hmm. we just don't we don't know it. And through the hundreds of years that have gone by, I mean, for heaven's sake, they lost an entire part of themselves who became right. fierce warriors, mm-hmm. you know? So what else was lost along the way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love these conversations we have. (laughs) (laughs) I like when we can have a little bit more time in the spoiler section because Mm -hmm. this is, it's fun. This is where like the meat of it is, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, because there's always like, there's just always something to kind of like push aside and dig down into. And I, that's, you know me, I'm a research geek. (laughs) I will dig and dig and dig. And this is one of my favorite things to dig into. It's fun. I am going to, we've already, I kind of already talked about some of these other things. So mm-hmm. if we can go ahead and get to Whitebridge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, Do you want to start? I think these are your notes. Yeah, but I'm going to kind of skip through them because there's some of them that we kind of already talked about. Okay, cool. I just wanted to say the implication when they are being chased by the Merdral and Tom hands them the harp and flute, what that means. Yeah. And it's really sad. It Him, really is. He knows he's a goner. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or he was like just his... like, he's like, I don't care if I die, but if this harp gets damaged. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will have been worth it. Right. Nothing. Yeah, I, I love that because those are – those are his most prized possessions. That is his yeah. livelihood. That is his everything. And he is just pushing them away and mm-hmm. dashing at a murdral for the sake of two young men he barely knows. Mm-hmm. And it just, it says so much about Tom as a character and so many reasons to like him. So Agreed. many reasons. I have a question. <laughs> Please. What was the flash of searing blue light? I don't know. That was that filled the square as Tom wrestles the fade. What is this? Is this a, is, is this? this a form of magic that Murdral can do that we never find out I about later? Know. Does Tom have some sort of magic daggers that are actually his first best set of daggers instead of his second best <laughs> set? <laughs> explode his his first yeah. set of daggers, his best set are exploding light They're daggers. They're enchanted. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Because did I Rand same... accidentally channel what you know? Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. But he would have. He would have wiped out Tom too. I mean, he did. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. On that one, I don't either. I okay. Don't mean... Someone needs to let us know on that. If anyone uh, has theories, leave us a anchor message, please, or send it to us on Discord. Yeah, Twitter works too. Just get in touch with us and tell us. We want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we but have options. I, yeah, that's all I have there. Cool. I only have a few small comments. Uh, one was, we'll have to see Ilian another time, said the future king of Ilian. Da-da-da! I just laughed so hard. I was like, Rand, you don't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, Tom's ability with the game of houses flashes here. I like this. His mm-hmm. like interactions with the innkeeper and trying to keep them all in the down low. And he's smart enough to split up their money just in case they get separated. Like Tom is one smart dude, and I love that it shows yes. up here. Logan. Yes. Yes. Logan. I'm so excited because I know I know that moment in Camelin is coming, and I love that moment when Loghain sees Rand and he like laughs and is like mm-hmm. this guy this guy you have me in a cage and this guy is just hanging out we're fucked we're fucked I, everyone I have a feeling when the TV show comes out this is going to be something we get this I sure part hope that you're so. talking about because I think they have a lot of faith in Elviro Mort- Mortensen, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, um, the Loghain actor, and mm. he's just fantastic. So. Oof, I can't wait, because like, this is one of those moments that I can picture in my head, and it just looks so cool and could be done so well so i'm really yeah i see i see like sorrow this man that's trapped and mm-hmm. cage like an animal and then him losing it after feeling rand's presence yeah. oh it's so exciting i feel i feel like there's just this defiance to him too you know like mm-hmm. even though he's caged even though he knows what's coming next i feel like he, there's like a like a streak of defiance that's still a part of who he is which I think really plays into what happens with him later like Mm -hmm. I'm so glad Loghain is not just like a momentary character and that he comes back so strong later on nobody would ever think what happened to some village folk from the two rivers was worth talking about ha 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 again yeah (laughs) there are just little moments like this where I'm like hee hee you know um, Robert Jordan was writing this like <laughs> That's what I think of. That's what I think of is like the author being like, You have no idea what I'm gonna do next. Like mm-hmm. I I get a little giggle. And then how 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 could they not recognize Pot and Fane? How? I just wanna know. This would be okay, here's the thing that drives me crazy. I feel like either they're idiots. <laughs> Or Rand is like, oh, I told Pot on Fane that I wouldn't tell anyone about him. Mm. But he can't keep his mouth shut about anything else, so That's why would that true. be different? Yeah. And I mean, he, like, he, that's one of those moments that's from his point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think he, like, I think he includes, like, this thought that none of them seem to recognize the person that the innkeeper was talking about. And I'm just like, how? How? I mean, Mm -hmm. Rand even interacted with him when he was in super tattered, crazy, Mm -hmm. weird mode. How did Rand miss this? How? Agreed. That's all, really. Those are the only things that I have for spoilers and thoughts and whatnot. How do you do today? Another great recording. I had fun. I'm feeling good. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. 
You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.